All right, and welcome to the Citizens of Nassau podcast. I'm your host, TJ Lennemeyer. With me as always, Sean Hogan. Hello. James O'Hara. Hello. All right, so uh, it's been closing in on, well, no, it's over two months since we last did this. We did this on April 28th. Uh, quite a bit has happened. Um, so where do we want to start? Injuries, performance, what the rest of the league is doing. Where do you want to go first? <laughs> start with the rest of the league. I'm sure that's what people are tuning in for. Uh, <laughs> so to talk about the New York Mets. Um, <laughs> Not great. I mean, so in April when we recorded, we were saying that, you know, they weren't performing that well, but also the division wasn't performing that well. And that's giving them an opportunity to stay in it, to kind of tread water at a, a poor level, but also still be right in the division race um, and not be just immediately eliminated like they would be if they had had that April in a more normal season. Uh, and then they did it again in May. And then it looks like halfway through June, they were going to try to do it again in June. And then they finally uh, turned it on. So that's a very high level description of performance. Yeah. I mean, looking at the, the standings right now, they're what, four games back, four and a half games back? Uh, I think that's back to four. Mm, they currently sit at five, is what MLB five. is saying. Yeah. Well, I guess the Mets the Mets won their first game today. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah, right. so they went back from four and a half to five. <clears throat> it's a tied with the Braves, five back. The Phillies are a half game ahead of them, and then the Mets are four and a half clear of everybody else. But the Nets now at least are four games clear of the Marlins, so they have less of a chance of falling back into last place. Yeah, yeah. The stretch that they're in right now is is pretty tough. But I mean, if they can manage to continue to tread water at this point and stay around where they are, mm-hmm. it's not a terrible spot to be in. the The East is not the juggernaut that we thought it was going to be. Uh, yeah. Mediocre not. All right. I guess we want to do more pass performance first, and then we can talk more about like the current stretch they're in. Um, And there's nothing really interesting to talk about in May. It happened. Uh, They did avoid being 19 and 31 again for the third season in a row, although they got as close as you could to doing that without actually doing it. So for all intents and purposes, it felt like they did. Uh, and then the first couple weeks of June, they still weren't really doing anything. You know, they weren't going completely in the tank, but they weren't really winning that much until they came back home on June 11th to start a pretty long homestand, starting with four games against the Giants. So it was supposed to start June 10th, and it was, uh, you know, June 10th got rained out, uh, and they started that series on the 11th. It was also the first series where they had no capacity restrictions. Uh, at Nationals Park, so they're supposed to have a lot of fans. And then, of course, June 10th gets rained out. June 11th, it also is threatening rain. It looks like they're not going to play, so not as many people show up. They do end up playing, and then, of course, Max Scherzer exits the game after, I think, like 12 pitches total. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that definitely felt like, well, there that that's the whole season. This is, you know, they were kind of still in it, but not really. And also now Max Scherzer is out. Steven Strasburg has already been out. Nobody really wants to hit. Season over. 
<laughs> and then uh, Kyle Schwarber decided to take that in a different direction and just hit as many home runs as potentially humanly possible in only 19 days. Uh, you know, and he nearly tied, I think he was like three home runs away, four home runs away from the NL record for home runs in a month. And he hit none until I believe June 12th. <laughs> so he just skipped the whole first week and a half of the, of June and then was like, well, now let me see if I can set a record from here. Did he end up with in June, like 15, 16? I believe 16 home runs in June. Okay, yeah, 20 is the record also Mm. in June by Sammy Sosa. You're talking to the number one Sammy Sosa fan of 1998. (laughs) Yeah, just pull it up. June home runs. Yeah, 16 home runs. So it's a lot of dingers. Multiple days with more than one home run. Uh, I think he had one game where he had three home runs and then was pulled before having a chance to have four home runs uh, for a defensive replacement because his knee was hurting, uh, which unfortunately was foreshadowing in that then the second June ended, his body just decided, oh, well, I performed for my one month, and his significant tear of a hamstring, unfortunately, knocked him back out. Uh, Like TJ, you were saying, a pretty critical time for the Nats, but... Uh, is there anything else besides Kyle Schwarber's awesomeness, which I think everybody else has already talked about, that you remember from June? The pitching staff was pretty good for being having no good players except for uh, like Scherzer around. You know, you got some good starts out of what, Espino. Fetty was good until he hit the DL, the IL. Uh, uh, Ross was good. Hey, Fetty had like twenty three innings straight of no runs allowed although some of those I think were from a start in May but Uh, the the one thing that sticks out of note was Espino's back-to-back appearances getting his first career win and his first career save (laughs) yeah (laughs) not only did that it's like five shutout innings in his first career win I believe against the Pirates then got a save against the Phillies in a fairly wild game Oh, yeah. Um, Then pitched against the Marlins and forget about that. And then threw another five shutout innings and another start against the Mets uh, to get another win uh, and basically become the greatest pitcher of all time. (laughs) Uh, But I mean, you talk about like everybody was contributing on the starting pitching front. I mean, in June, Joe Ross went three and two with the 195 ERA, Scherzer is three and oh with the 142 ERA, Spino two and one, 174 ERA. I mean, even Patrick Corbin was decent compared to how he's been the last two years. You know, three eight two ERA. Uh, I mean, it was really just John Lester was the only one kind of getting set. You know, and Fetty was a two eight one ERA, although you know only had three starts in sixteen innings. I mean, Lester was really the only starter who didn't do well in June for them with the five seven nine. So, you know, it. The people who are doing that, I mean, the, the problem is that, you know, Joe Ross, Paolo Espino, Eric Fetty aren't necessarily the first three people you'd say, oh, these are going to be good pitchers for the rest of the season. Um, and unfortunately, the way the rotation is kind of set up with Lester looking kind of cooked and Strasburg, even when Strasburg comes back, you're not, 
you're going to probably keep two of Ross, Espino, Fetty in the rotation the whole year, uh, which I think is a pretty key difference um, from 2019 when we saw similar performances, I believe, in August from uh, Ross and Fetty when Scherzer went out on the IL for a while. And I think one of their other starters, maybe Strasburg, maybe Corbin, was also, or uh, maybe Sanchez, I think it might have been Sanchez, was on the IL for a little while. And Fetty and Ross came in and filled in and had like a handful of really good starts to keep the momentum for them. Uh, but then luckily by September, we're already back out of the rotation. Uh, not going to be the case here. So we're going to have to hope they keep, they can keep it up to some extent. Yeah. When, when Ross, Fetty and Espino are in your top five of pitching F war for the team for the year, that is probably not where you want to be. Uh, so we can guess that Max Serzer is also on that list. Can anyone name the the fifth member of the top five? In war overall for pitchers? Yep. Yeah. For the Nats, do not hit the back button. Um, <laughs> so he said Ross, Espino, Fetty, Scherzer, and uh mm-hmm. believe it's Daniel Hudson. Yeah, I assume it has to be one of the back-end guys, yeah. Yeah, it's Hudson. Because I think Brad Hand does not – I mean, I'm, <clears throat> I'm looking like June, his FIP is okay, but I feel like Brad Hand does not have a good FIP this year, which is the fan dashboard based on. Yeah. yeah. So not not quite doing it as, uh, as well as he could. Um, so, yeah, that's not great. Hopefully uh, – Hudson's been doing some work, right? He's been throwing recently, I think. I hope click so. his page and see. I think they'll have like an update. They don't really want through a twenty-one pitch bullpen session Monday, this Monday, the fifth, uh, according to Jesse Doherty. So hopefully that means he's coming back soon. Um I assume it's gonna be like Fetty. They might not even make a make him do a rehab appearance or anything, you know, especially since he's a relief pitcher, he doesn't really need to get stretched out. Um, I mean, they kind of really need him. As you can see, uh, having Paolo Espino have to start and then get a save and then start again. Uh, the list of people who could actually throw in the back end of a game and be trusted to do some, do well is pretty much just Brad Hand. It's not a list. It's just one name. <laughs> and it depends on your definition of well as, as well. Right. Yeah, I mean, except for Wander Suero's stats are okay, but, you know, Suero is kind of a tough one to crack. You know, how much you can trust him and exactly whether he's better in specific situations or what. It's, it's still unknown exactly the best way to use Wander Suero to get the most out of him. Uh, and then after that, oh, I mean, you just have a bunch of terrible ca- garbage Kyles. So it's not what you want. It's a bold strategy for your bullpen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm actually, I'm a little surprised because I, in the past, the Nats have had this situation. They've just gone out and traded for a reliever, like way ahead of time of everybody else. Yeah. Um, I think it was three years ago. They got Kelvin Herrera in like, the middle of June. Yeah. Way before anybody was looking for a trade. Uh, I believe when they got Kinsler, Madsen, Doolittle, Kinsler was like way earlier. 
And then they decided they needed even more relievers, and so then they traded for Madsen Doolittle. But let me look that up and make sure I'm not incorrect. Oh no. Okay. Never mind. That was he was Kinsler was also on deadline, so wasn't that early. So but yeah, I mean they, they've done it before at least with Herrera and I think one other pitcher at least where they traded for them very early and it kind of felt like a pretty big need and the I was surprised that they didn't. Yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like they're almost waiting for them, for the team themselves to decide if they're in contention or not. And all they continue to do is float right around the line of maybe. Yeah. 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 And it's working so far. Um, that's the other cool thing mentioned about June before we move on to the next thing is, you know, it was cool getting Gerardo Parra back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the first time he came back, and everybody, the baby shark, he laces a double and then scores on a home run by Kyle Schwarber to give the Nats a, a bigger lead on the Mets on a pretty great weekend for the Nats. Uh, so that was exciting. Not Then he had a home run uh, a couple days later. And then since then, it's not been quite as exciting, unfortunately. Um, I don't know how much longer, especially once Kyle Schwarber, now that Kyle Schwarber's injured, I'm not exactly sure how much longer they can justify having him as one of their backup outfielders. Uh, I think it's interesting that they seem to be waiting for Andrew Stevenson to come back to replace Yadiel Hernandez, since Stevenson's not really a good hitter either. Uh, I mean, I would not start any of them in left field permanently until Schwarber comes back. On purpose. Right now, it seems like... Yeah, no. I mean, right now, it looks like they, they've kind of changed their minds on that and just have Elcides Escobar starting at second. And Josh Harrison's starting in left field, but I mean Escobar's not a good hitter either. That's not going to last very long. So, uh, speaking of alternatives to that, um, one Adam Eaton was DFA'd from the White Sox this afternoon. <laughs> he's well, he's right. DFA'd, and then uh, Steven Souza Jr. was also DFA'd by the Dodgers, I think, yesterday. So, yeah. if you really want to bring back a former Nationals corner, uh, outfielder who at one time knew how to hit, but has recently shown no ability to hit whatsoever. You do have a number of choices. To be as well, just sign Alfonso Soriano if you're going to go that deep. <laughs> could it could it truly be worse than when Alcides Escobar decides to actually hit like Alcides Escobar? True. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, it's bad. They don't really have a good option. I mean, I like trying to look through this bench. I mean, the problem is that, you know, especially the problem is that Victor Robles is now trending back downwards again. Um, Josh Harrison is still kind of hanging on tight. He was way up there in WRC plus, you know, back in April and early mid May, and then kind of trade places with Josh Bell and Bell had been doing badly and now has been doing really well. And Harrison's been coming back the other direction. And now both Josh's are right around just a little bit above league average on offense. Uh, so Harrison has had a couple games, good games recently. So hopefully he's starting to stabilize after coming back down to a more realistic level for him. Uh, if he can stay around 100, then I'm not, I, I, I guess you could kind of 
keep going with Escobar for a little bit longer to see what happens. I mean, the issue is just really you Starlin Castro is just not hitting that well. He's hitting. Okay. Uh, And Victor Robles is hitting similarly, not well, but not so badly that you could instantly upgrade with just any random schmo. Um, So it's really just the only place you're going to find an offensive upgrade right now is while Schwarber is out filling in better for him in left field. I would definitely suggest that I would have suggested that they would have done that. The second Schwarber went out, tried to find somebody who could fill in uh, and be a better bench you know, power hitter for them because they have no bench hitting whatsoever right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have nobody to really pinch hit. They have nobody, no extra hitter like they did in the playoffs when they started with Howie Kendrick at first and Asdrubal Cabrera at second and then moved Howie Kendrick to second, put Ryan Zimmerman at first and still that whole time still had Brian Dozier on the bench as well. Uh, and, you know, Gerardo Parra who had been pinch hitting fairly well. Uh, the bench this year, obviously, as we've seen, has got pretty much have nothing. <laughs> so uh, I'm kind of surprised going into that series. You know, because all these tough games they have right here, right now, you know, it's, it's key to have as much offense as they can. Clearly, they're not bringing that with them right now. So I, it really just depends on your view on Kyle Schorber's injury, though. Now, I'm trying to think back. I know going into the season, the bench wasn't great by any means. Mm-hmm. But did we have any idea just how thin they were? I mean, when like, you're I like starting was- Jordy Mercer on purpose up with the big squad, it's probably not a great thing. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. But I think so, something that we brought up at any point. One like, of the problems yeah. was like in spring – you what you were your ideal lineup that you were looking at would have had Starlin Castro at second base and Carter Keboom starting at third base, and then you would have had a bench of Alex Avila, Ryan Zimmerman, Josh Harrison, uh, yo know, Andrew Stevenson, and one other person, whoever that may be. If you go for a five man bench or just those four and have a deeper bullpen, which would not be that bad. And then obviously keep him proof that in the spring, he still wasn't able to start. And so then now Josh Harrison has become a full-time starter and done pretty well. But now that's another bench spot. Like Sean said, changed from being Josh Harrison is a pretty decent bench option to Jordy Mercer, who should be out of the league by now. Um, yes, that doesn't help Alex Avila has been not as effective. I mean, he's been okay, but not you know, nearly the level of Kurt Suzuki uh, as a backup catcher. Um, luckily, Jan Gomes has been a lot better these last two years. So it's not as much of an issue, but you know that that's not as much of a help. Um, and then Andrew Stevenson has just proven not to really be able, uh, you know, he had a couple of nice hits right at the beginning of the season and then hasn't done shit since then. And so, uh, yeah, and nobody else that they had really at the AAA level. They had like a lot of, you know, kind of castoffs or quadruple A kind of guys like Yadiel Hernandez. None of them have really been able to step up into those roles as either. So, so what you're telling me is this is all Carter Keeboom's fault. 
it, it, a lot of it is would be in a lot better shape. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, unfortunately he basically made it that your bench, your bench is now your starters. I mean, Zimmerman's just so good. Uh, the other thing is that Zimmerman is starting so much since him and Bell have kind of ended up in a platoon uh, that it, it's harder to think of him as a, a bench player because he's like, well, it, you the only times you normally see him is when he's starting, uh, and he's not. Is also not in a good way that like if Josh Bell was injured. Like Kyle, you know, Kyle Schwarber was still in, and let's say Josh Bell was the one who had a significantly torn hamstring. You would not see Ryan Zimmerman suddenly step up and play every single day like you would expect from a normal like depth player. He's not a depth player. He's a very specific targeted bench player, uh, and that's one of the other issues. Is really that it's kind of how the Nats ended up. That's kind of how the Nats always build their bench, but really in particular this year how they've built it is, you know, Ryan Zimmerman is there to start against tough left-handed pitchers and then pinch it late in the game. And that's it. Uh, Gerardo Parra is there to pinch it and bring some extra energy and absolutely not actually start any game as a fill-in and get more than one at bat. Uh, You know, Andrew Stevenson is there again to kind of provide more defensive backup than offensive backup you know it's somebody who could actually play center field uh in some cases you know give victor robles a day off you know and alex avila is really there just to be a a backup catcher you know the days Jan gomes can't go alex avila will go and that's it he's not gonna be a really good hitting offense you know not like kurt suzuki or Jan gomes or one was starting the other one potentially could be a pinch hitter in a specific spot uh, you're not going to really do that with Avila. So, yeah, they were really targeted roles. Uh, Jordy Mercer's role was I can play shortstop. <laughs> so that was a very specific one. So Alex Avila's specific role was not backup second baseman? No. <laughs> and as we say, for good reason, because then he went on the IL after that yeah. <laughs> experiment. Yeah. So. Uh, and, and, and again, Alex Avila playing back up second base just really drives home, drives home the point with Zim is that not only is he somebody that if Josh Bell went out, he's not going to play first base full time for him. He's not, he can't even play any of the other positions because mm-hmm. otherwise I maybe outfield. We, I haven't, we haven't really seen that. Um, but I would say even at this point, we could probably rule him out for playing outfield because otherwise he would have started one of these games since Schorber's been out. At this point, yeah. Uh, yeah. especially because they face some righties, uh, and they also they've been letting Josh Bell uh, a couple times. Josh Bell has bad, you know, faced a lefty starting pitcher, uh, where you would think, you know, if you're going to have that, you you definitely could be starting Zimmerman as well in left field, and clearly he hasn't. Uh, he was not not in an emergency situation that he wasn't even a consideration to play one of the other infield positions. It was just, we're going to put our backup catcher at second base for this five inning rain game. So it's not ideal. Yeah. So I'm kind of surprised by how slow they've been to enter the market because I don't think they really need starters. You know, they don't need starting pitching. They don't really need starting offensive players. I mean, they've got, one of the best shortstops in the league. They've got, you know, one of the best overall hitters in the league in Juan Soto. 
Jan Gomes is having a really good season. Josh Harrison's having a good season. Josh Bell's, you know, back on the rise and in tandem with Ryan Zimmerman, I think provides you a lot of production at first base. Uh, I mean, the only thing you could really say is maybe you could upgrade for your starting third baseman over Starlin Castro. Uh, But I think the Nats, you could argue, might've been waiting to see if Luis Garcia and Carter Keeboom, one of them could take that spot. And then unfortunately they've both been injured recently uh, in the end of June, but you know, and then Kyle Schwarber also, you know, crushing the ball in left field until recently. And, you know, hamstring tear, even though it's significant, should still be something you can heal from relatively quickly still in season. So it's not like they need to really be looking for any of the really big ticket items. They have a closer. And when Daniel Hudson comes back, they have a good setup, man. They just really need, you know, these extra depth pieces uh, and extra bullpen pieces. Uh, and maybe, you know, a, a fifth starter or something like that. These would all be things that are easy to find. All should be things that teams would be willing to trade now that they're not going to say, oh, we need to wait until July 31st to make sure we hear from every single person who might want, you know, whoever, uh, I can't even think of like, you know, Daniel Bard. You know, if you call the Colorado Rockies and say, we want to trade you whatever for Daniel Bard, they're not going to say, oh, we want to wait until we get a bidding war. <laughs> <laughs> that's not happening. They know it's not happening. If you offer them anything reasonable, they're going to just accept it. So I, I've been kind of surprised that they've been sitting on their hands so far and in more trying to do, you know, get random signings out of nowhere, you know, bring Gerardo Parra back, trade cash for Alcides Escobar. Uh, you know, so these things that really low level, like you, nobody would really expect this to actually be helpful. <laughs> they just kind of do it to do it. So that, that's what I've been surprised by recently. I wouldn't be surprised if you see them go shopping in uh, Arizona soon because they have a lot of those one-year type veteran players that could be a little bit better. You know, your uh, old friend Ascab, uh, Eduardo Escobar, Cole Calhoun, David Peralta signed through next year. But I mean, guys like that that could kind of fill in as better than what we've got starters right now. And then mm-hmm. if and when guys get healthy, those guys can kind of shift into more platoon bench roles and they should right, all they, come relatively cheap because none of them are good. Right. And they've all, they've all done that platoon bench role before there. It's not like you're going to get like a real starter and then say, okay, now go, go to the bench. And then be like, what do you mean? Go to the bench. This team isn't that good. I'm not going to the bench for this team. <laughs> um, no, so yeah, I, I'm surprised they haven't found that, especially just in terms of morale. Because uh, like you were saying, they had a really awesome June, jumped right back into the race by the end of June when they took those two games from the Rays, who were a first, uh, second place team at the time, but still you know looking like one of the better teams in the AL. Uh, you know everything looked really exciting. You know two games above 500, two and a half behind the Mets. Everybody's crushing it right now. Uh, and the issue was really from there, one, they were going to go to four games against the Dodgers, then three against the Padres, three against the Giants, another three against the Padres, and then the All-Star break, which is basically the exact opposite of the schedule they had going into the All-Star break in 2019, where I believe it was like the Tigers and the Royals and the Marlins or something like that. Uh, you know, a bunch of dregs where they really... That's where they really, in 2019, you know, they had the nice run in June 
to get from way under 500 in May to 500. But then it was that early July where they were facing all these crappy teams. And I think went like 10 and two or something against them or 11 and one, something ridiculous. And that's where they just lip, you know, way up into this spice where you're like, okay, they're not going to fall back below 500. This season isn't going to turn back around the other way. They're now too far into contention. They're going to trade for the pieces they need, like Daniel Hudson. You know, and these guys have the momentum now. They're going to be able to perform through the rest of the season and hopefully get a playoff spot. Uh, this year now, they have the exact opposite schedule, something that could potentially send them kind of back in a tailspin going the wrong way. And then right when that happened, also the per- one player who had been carrying them on offense, Kyle Schwarber, went out with an injury. So that feels like the perfect confluence of we need to trade for somebody who can come in and for two weeks be hot, smash more dingers, give us more energy, you know, not let everybody get down that, oh, you know, we did, we put all this effort in, in, in June to get above 500. And now because we're playing this tough schedule and we just lost our best player, you know, and Trey Turner's also dealing with injury, you know, what was the point of putting all that effort in in June? Cause now we're falling back out of it. And now I'm, I'm kind of discouraged and I'm going to get in a rut. So it, it really could have helped if they had brought somebody in before that Dodger series, even to kind of give them an extra boost. I think they probably would have been able to take one game out of that series. Uh, Cause those were all decently close games. Um, you know, that obviously the, was a Friday game kind of became a blowout or maybe the Sunday game. No Friday, the Friday game ended up becoming a blowout just because the Dodgers had that big, you know, one inning against the Nets bullpen. But otherwise, you know, you could have expected them to win one of those games, I think. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, I found the, the Escobar trade a little surprising, not in that it's a bad trade by any means. I mean, he's gone seven for 16 since he's been in an ass uniform. But how much more could somebody like Esdrubal Cabrera actually cost and be someone Mm -hmm. that could actually help win games? Right. Yeah, Esdrubal Cabrera, I mean, I was going to like try to pull up random teams that have been bad so far. I mean, obviously you're not going to get anybody... (laughs) You're not going to get anybody from the Orioles, so we can rule out, yeah. you know, Cedric Mullins or Trey Mancini or anybody like that. Uh, and you could even have gone and said, like, uh, I guess Carlos Santana wouldn't really fit. He's signed beyond, I think, to next year as well. Yeah, but I mean, you could have looked into like Ben because I think he's a free agent after this year. I think he's still got a little more control, but oh, yeah, he's okay. looking more like a you know, fourth outfield type now anyways, but he could be a non-tender candidate, but they also gave up some stuff for him. So they may not want to give up on him this quickly. They have another outfielder though there that's doing okay. Uh, I think his name's Michael B. Taylor, Michael C. Michael Taylor. B. Michael e. Taylor. <laughs> he is only a 79 WRC plus, but he is doing okay. Um, uh, you could have traded the Rangers, Oh, no, never mind. That's a different Garcia. I thought this was Avasol Garcia, but it's Adalas well, Garcia. Adalas Garcia. He's, but he's That's like found money for like them. He's he's like 28. He's oh, like yeah. a 28-year-old rookie. So it's like, I'm sure that they yeah, would sell high on him if you asked. 
Yeah, so that's probably not exactly who they're looking for, though. Um, ben Gamble, there you go, from the Pirates. Who is oh, yeah, surprisingly not one. the worst player of all time. Yeah, let me look at Arizona. So, yeah, it, it obviously, you know, unfortunately, you got like Eduardo Escobar, who's not even hitting that well, but has a lot of heat, trade heat on him for some reason, so... That's not necessarily somebody they were going to get early. But like you said, as Dribble Cabrera is doing pretty decently again this year with the 106 WRC+. Plus. I'm sure they have no attachment to him whatsoever. Uh, David Peralta is getting close to being a free agent and also not, again, for the third year in a row, not really building on his good 2018. But you know, is a decent option. Uh, you know, Can hit fairly well around league average be a much better fill-in than anybody the Nats have filling in right now in the outfield. That's the key. Uh, better than what we've got is a lot better nothing. than average. <laughs> but uh, that's a guy you could get for pretty much nothing. Uh, and, you know, like we said, easily once Kyle Schwarber came back, he said, hey, you're on the bench now. And he'd be like, yep, that makes sense. <laughs> I'm heading to the bench. <laughs> you know, or even Cole Calhoun. I mean, there are three different people in the Diamondbacks I kind of feel like they should have traded for. Any one of them would have worked. Which is bad that when you're like, oh, there's there's three or four players in the Diamondbacks offense that could help us. It's like, oh no, right? <laughs> like, you know, wrong. like I said, it's it's really like a very targeted help, and, and it's more. It's not even necessarily that you need somebody who could hit that well. I I think the other thing I would say, making that trade for Alcides Escobar, if they didn't have a such a tough stretch here right before the the All Star break, I would have said that been perfectly fine. Fill in, yeah, just make a weird platoon out of Hernandez, Para, Josh Harrison, Alcides Escobar. You know, everybody else seems to be doing well enough. Uh, you probably have enough talent to kind of take these these games here and there. Um, yeah, you got Trey Turner, you got Juan Soto still. Josh Bell is hitting pretty well. So you, you'd still have enough offense. You don't need to fill in like crazy to win against an averagist schedule but because they're just facing such really good teams right now i think it would have behooved them to kind of go that extra mile and bring in somebody really good um almost like the worst scenario yeah like if he does well it just gives them an excuse to hold him around for longer too which is like obviously you don't want him to suck but at the same time you don't want them to trust in alcides escobar right don't look at any relievers on the Diamondbacks. <laughs> no, don't get walking for you. Is right, he still they, alive? Have this, they have this one reliever named as Drupal Cabrera. He has a zero ERA. Hey, he's he got a 17 FIP. There you go. <laughs> he might be worth looking into. Can trade he, for the legend Soria Joe Mantefly. Yeah, Joe Mantefly. I was saying, like, Daniel Bard, I mean, his ERA isn't as good as last year, but I mean, that, I can't believe people would be going all in on somebody from thoracic outlet syndrome, even if he is closing for the Rockies. Uh, I mean, every bad team has at least one good reliever and behind that one. Okay. Ish reliever that absolutely nobody cares to trade for. Um, yeah. The Royals have nobody plenty wants to of trade anybody controllable anymore either so it's like you can't just trade for joe schmo middle reliever and hope that they turn out good right 
So yeah, it is. A, it's a little disappoint. You know, little difficult. But I, I mean, I think you could find people just kind of randomly clicking around and looking at things. I think you could have found somebody to help out. You know, Kyle Crick probably would be worth a little bit more. I oh, know he's not doing that well this year, though. Isn't he the one that starts all the fights? Is he the one who starts all the fights? I thought it was uh, Keon Kella. Well, he got. I think he got in a fight with Kella, and he got in a fight with somebody oh, else too. Okay. So I just assumed that if you get in two fights, it's probably more you than the other guy. But Definitely. maybe he just maybe he just stood up to the two assholes on the team. Who knows? <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, that's what I would have done, but. Too late. We got Alcides Escobar hitting leadoff now. Just like we wanted. Indeed. Like everyone planned. Uh, so we've you know mentioned it a couple different times. A lot of uh, injured players here on the Nats right now. Um, Hudson, Schwarber, Strasburg, Rainey, Avila, Mercer, Stevenson... I think I got everybody. Yeah, since Fetty did come back last night. Yeah. Uh, which is rather unfortunate since uh, right before he went out with that oblique injury, he gave a nice quote about how he was happy that he felt more secure with his place on the Nats, that he wasn't just a fill-in starter and cited the fact that when he was coming back from the COVID-19 IL list, the Nats, you know, made sure he, he was supposed to have a uh, – a rehab start, I think, with Rochester. And then the night he was going to have his rehab start, they got rained out. And then the Nats, uh, blank, one of their other pitchers wasn't going to be able to start. So they were going to have to do a bullpen game against the Phillies. And they would talk, oh, maybe we'll just have Fetty, since he didn't have that rehab start, just come and start this game for us. And then he said, you know, he was happy that they didn't just rush him back. They let him go take the rehab start anyways. They had Austin both start off a bullpen game. Unfortunately, that's the one where both got hit in the face by Vince Velasquez. Uh, but otherwise, you know, Fetty was happy. He's like, and you can see the results because I came back and I had two really good starts. And then unfortunately, right after that interview is when he had his oblique hurting him and had a bad start against the Phillies. Uh, went on the IL. And then the Nats, of course, decide this time they're not going to wait for him to go get a rehab start or anything like that. And they throw him right back out against the freaking San Diego Padres last night. <laughs> and he gives up, I think was a five earned or six earned. I think five. So, but I know he gave up five earned runs in that Philly start when he felt hurt. Uh, when he first had it, felt his injury and then, Oh, uh, game log six. Six earned runs. Yeah, so it's unfortunate is now his, his ERA is four five three and his FIP is four five three, whereas before those two games he was much lower. Um he was looking really good. Let me put it on the twenty second and update it. Yeah, so his ERA before these last two games were was three 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 eight seven. Uh for a guy who would be coming up arbitration eligible i believe next year this is 2022 can't remember if it's 
React to be or yeah, damn it, that's completely. So it says ARB eligible 2022, and then if you hover over ARB eligible, the definition it gives you is projected to be arbitration eligible for the 2022 season. I don't know what that means though. I think it's after 2021. Yeah. Okay. So I think he is ARB eligible would, this coming off season. Um. So I think before. He was having a really good season. He could have argued for more money. Uh, it's going to be harder. He'll probably be closer to only a million or so now, uh, unless he can, you know, with his remaining starts this year, get his numbers back down. Uh, but it is difficult to throw two starts of about eight innings and give up 11 earned runs. Yeah, eight and a third, gave up 11 earned runs. So tanked his numbers, unfortunately. Probably cost himself a good amount of money. I'm sure. Great if you root for the owners, though. Let's go, owners. Let's go. (laughs) I'm sure he was not happy with the Nationals light tonight forcing him to do that, but hopefully he can recover and you know have a good rest of the season. Because he had been a pretty fun story up to this point. Because I think we talked about it in April, or maybe in March, uh, about how Fetty was going to have a fourth year option due to some you know kind of shenanigans and how the rules work uh that would have allowed the Nats to start him out in triple a for free and you know bring another bench guy or a different reliever to start the season uh and then he forced uh hearing grievance hearing or something like that to get it so that he could oh um get it so that he could not have that fourth option that the nationals would be forced to either put him on the roster or DFA him, which is a pretty big gamble. Cause I think a lot of people who had seen Eric Fetty's to his career to that point would have just said DFA him. Uh, the nationals did not. Uh, and then he found himself in the starting rotation. Then he found himself actually throwing good games uh, and having some pretty good stats. And it was a pretty cool story. And, not as cool the last two games, and hopefully he can kind of get it back on track. Um, I'm going to interrupt myself because the Nationals have reinstated Daniel Hudson from the 10-day injured list and optioned Andres Mercado to AAA Rochester. Oh, good. So okay. now they only have like three relievers in the bullpen who shouldn't be on Major League rosters instead of four. Yep. So, uh, yeah, they have they got Daniel Hudson and they have Kyle Finnegan, who not helpful, but he is back. He is one of your ugly Kyles. Got garbage Kyles. At least he's not Kyle Lobstein. Kyle Lobstein was much more. Oh, yes. It, there are tears of garbage. Um, when he has yeah, love so, uh, in his name. Yeah, exactly. But like, like we said before, I didn't think Daniel Hudson especially was going to need like a rehab start or anything. So I guess he had a good bullpen two days ago, and now he's back. So hopefully that'll really help. I'm sure Davey is excited to use him the next five days in a row and send him <laughs> back to the IL. Uh, yep. Let's see. So is there anything else with the Nationals that we need to talk about right now? Or should we move over to kind of lead news uh, you can talk about Juan Soto in the home run derby. Yes. Yes. Our golden child is going to go play moon ball for a little while and see what happens. 
And he's going mean, to face Otani, I think, because it's seated by. Uh, oh, see, I'm runs. wondering whether oh. they have seven of the eight people who are joining. So I'm wondering whether MLB one finds some other kind of interesting home run hitter who's been out most of the season that they can stick in who has even fewer home runs than Soto and have him face Otani in the first round or whether all of a sudden it's not seeded by the number of home runs. <laughs> they just <laughs> changed the seats and all of a sudden Soto's seated differently. Did they, uh, did they fill it out today? Cause Joey Gallo got added today. Was he seventh or eighth? Oh, was Gallo also was added today? Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's eight then. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. Um, I mean, I know if I were Major League Baseball, I know they, they also have Gallo, who's an interesting home run hitter, and uh, Pete Alonso is back to try to defend his crown. Um, but obviously, as a biased Nationals fan, I would say if I were MLB, I would not want to see one of Otani or Soto get knocked out in the first round. Uh, I, especially as a Nationals fan, wouldn't want to see Soto. I think as MLB, you would not want to see Soto knock out Otani in an eight one upset and <laughs> not have you have eight packages about how cool Shohei Otani is that you have to either completely scrap or just run anyways very confusingly over Let's other honest, players. They would run them anyways. Because mm-hmm. uh, I mean you got other guys there like Salvador Perez, uh I think Matt Olson from the A's that absolutely nobody cares about and are kind of there to be ground up and and you know, eliminated. So I'd be, I, I'd be a little surprised if they didn't goose it and make it so that Soto and was seated completely differently and gave Otani one of those other people that they don't care about to get eliminated and tried to make it that their final four was Gallo, Soto, Otani, and Alonso. But we'll see. Then they'll end up with Salvador Perez four times. Yeah, <laughs> they'll end up with all upsets and it'll just be completely terrible. I have uh, to say, MLB is doing like a valiant effort of trying to push Otani like wherever they can. Mm-hmm. But I get these alerts of like, man, come check out Sh- uh, Shuhei Otani. And I'm like, but I already have a mediocre baseball team to watch. Why <laughs> do I want to watch another one? Right. I mean, that's definitely the, the MLB tweet of 2021 is, like uh, every time I see highlights, it's Shohei Otani does it. You know, Mike Trout does something really cool, hits two home runs. Shohei Otani did something that hasn't been done since 1919, and the Angels lose to the Tigers seven to three. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just been hilarious since then. How many times you see like, hey, here's an uh, Otani highlight of him hitting another home run, and he hits it, and then you look down at the scorebook, and that home run made it ten to two. Or something like that. It's just like, what the hell is this team? I don't, I don't Gotta understand. And they have Rendon too. It's like, well, Rendon's hurt right now, but I mean, Rendon's have, been hurt pretty much the well, whole season, and Trout has too. But like, even you know, when they were healthy, when they've been healthy, it's like they can never. They just. Never I mean, they got Justin Upton, and Justin Upton decided that that was a good time to stop trying to play anymore. I mean, they, they, what they really are is they've kind of replicated to some extent the like 1998 to 2002 Washington football team 
where it's just like we keep bringing these people in on big contracts to try to supplement our team and they decide that that is when they no longer will perform at any level what <laughs> you know decent level whatsoever uh but i mean even then you know the washington football team did not have a mike trout or a Shohei otani um I, it's just ridiculous or both uh <laughs> how many stars they have i mean, it's, like, obviously one is because they have no good starting pitching um Except for Otani, uh, you know, and Dylan Bundy for a ten-game stretch last year, uh, and that was ten Angels games, not ten starts by Dylan Bundy. <laughs> um, you know, and Garrett Richards, I think three years ago before he had five injuries, uh, that's pretty much been it in terms of pitching for them. Uh, but it's just crazy. I, I tweeted earlier today: the last five years through eighty-five games, they were forty-three and forty-two. 43 and 42, 42 and 43. They didn't play 85 games last year. 43 and 42. I'm actually it's, amazed that they were they've been 500. It just seems it just seems like they've been worse than that just because they've been so disappointing. Every yeah, year. I, it's just 500 ish is just really bad for a team like that. Yeah. I, it's the same thing that we feel when the Nats, you know, 2018, 2015, 2013, the Nats weren't actually below 500. They're above 500 in all those years, but it was all just like two games above, three games above 500. So, you know, relative to expectations, it's terrible. Uh, and then imagine if that's just every single year except for 2014 for the last 10 years. Where it's like, well, this team should be really good. Oh, no, 500, below 500. Uh, but the other thing I want to mention with the home run derby with Juan Soto, because uh, I think Soto has really been kind of replicating the 2016 and 2018 that Bryce Harper had, uh, especially his 2018 where Harper kind of found himself getting shifted on a lot more uh, by teams and was kind of finding that those shifts were a lot more effective than you would have expected. Having watched Bryce Harper in the past, he would have said, oh, he hits power to all fields. You know, he knows how to run fast. He can get, you know, leg out infield stuff. You know, this is a player you probably shouldn't be switching. You know, even though he's a lefty, you don't want to, um, shift on him because he can easily beat a shift. And then we kind of found out oh, he couldn't as easily beat it as you expected. He's hitting into a lot more outs. Uh, he's still taking a lot of walks, but that's also making it harder for him to find a groove. And 2018, Bryce Harper's first half hit 214, 365, 468. Uh, yeah, you know, had an 833 OPS and then. Entered the home run derby at Nats Park. Obviously, as everybody remembers, won the home run derby in fairly exciting fashion over Kyle Schwarber. And then for the second half of the 2018 season, hit way better to the tune of, you know, had a 300 batting average, 972 OPS, uh, you know, 300, 434, 538. So <laughs> there you go. Prepping for next week. Sean is ready. So. I really think that's a similar story to what we've seen with Soto so far. I mean, he had a really good, he broke out in 2018 and had a really good kind of season for a breakout, but wasn't, you know, a completely ridiculous offensive season had, you know, a very good season in 2019, but still wasn't, you know, you wouldn't say, Oh, this is one of the best off seasons, you know, offensive seasons. You'd say he'd still like, you know, kind of top 20 and then 2020 is when he really, kind of just had that crazy best offense player of all time. 
And then now this year, we're seeing teams shift on him a lot more uh, than we have in the past because he looked like he was an all-fields hitter. And then he hasn't really been hitting it to all-fields, um, even to the point that one of the last games against the Dodgers, he briefly tried to see if he could push a bunt against the Dodgers shift rather than you know expecting that he could just hit it the other way. Um, you know, which is a classic move. I think everybody remembers Bryce Harper doing from time to time. Anytime he was in a slump deciding, Oh, I'm just going to bunt it. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of similarities, you know, Soto's hitting it a lot more into the ground, which is exactly where the shift is waiting for him to hit it and collecting it and throwing him out. So I think he hopefully can have a similar experience, especially at course field in the home run derby, especially since uh, Kevin Long, the hitting coach, will be the one throwing him DP. I'm hoping they go, they have their home run session. He hits a good amount of dingers, gets on to the next round. Kevin Long is back, and they can talk about what he did in that, and he can actually use this as a way to work on elevating the ball more and kind of getting his swing where he wants it to without having to worry about you know the fact that people are going to be throwing him a lot of balls or a lot of you know, breaking stuff, you know, things on the edges, you know, these are going to be easy to hit balls over the plate. He had, he wants to hit a home run. He doesn't have to worry about a game situation or who's up behind him or Trey Turner is on base in front of him right now. Is he going to try Do I have to take two pitches to see if Trey will steal all that other stuff kind of comes out and he can just focus on the swing, focus on the elevation and trying to get home runs and hopefully that can kind of help him unlock the power going into the second half of the season. Let's see. So who's the rest of the, uh, the group here now? We've got Otani, Alonzo, Story, Mancini, Olsen, Salvador Perez, and then Joey Gallo was today. Yeah, so Mancini will be a really cool story, you know, coming back from, I think, leukemia? Colon cancer. Colon cancer. I knew it was a cancer. Should have just said cancer. That covers so many too things. Much. <laughs> yeah, it's going to, like, Matt Olson's going to win it. It's just going to, it's always somebody like that, or at least is going to be like, you know, go to the finals, maybe not win it, but he's going to knock out somebody good, and MLB is going to be mad. Yeah, I saw when the alert came through about Matt Olson. I was like, really? Matt Olson? Okay. But, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's let's there. See. Talk about that. What else do we have? And at least is not exciting. No. I'm surprised at how decent the Mets have been considering their entire team is dead. Like mm-hmm. it has been the whole year, except for the ground. Yeah, well, I, really ground too, them, I really expected them to fall back harder. Uh, I mean, I guess there's still time. Much their, it's not like they're healthy still. They had that brief spe- stretch where I think every single hitter that you would have heard of on the Mets was all injured at the same time. I believe for a very brief period, uh, they had Alonzo, 
Nimmo, Conforto, and McNeil all on the IL at the same time. Although I think Alonzo came back pretty quickly after that, but they then, I mean, at least for a month, have been out without Conforto, Nimmo, or McNeil. But then even now, when those three are back, Nimmo is still not playing, able to play every day. Uh, McNeil and Conforto haven't really found their strokes yet. They're doing that. Oh, I was feeling just healthy enough to come back, so now I'm back, even though I wasn't really ready to be back and play. Uh, kind of deal where it's just like not really helpful in any direction. But um, well, and this could get real ugly real quick. Um, I figured the Brewers might give them a little bit of a run for their money, just with how well they've been playing. Uh, so far, they have dropped two out of three. The Brewers, that is. Uh, and then flanking the All-Star game, uh, the Mets have seven games against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mm-hmm. Well, if you saw what they did to the Braves the last couple of days, the Pirates are probably one of the better teams in the league. <laughs> yeah, so it's not... This part is not lining up well for the Nats, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if they can get through this stretch still maintaining some amount of contact with the other top three teams in the NLEs. The schedule does line up a lot better for them. Uh, and then obviously the, uh, uh, they made the division schedule very back heavy. Uh, I think a lot of the last games that the Nets have are against the Phillies, the Mets and the Braves. Um, so they will have an opportunity to kind of have those head to heads that could really shake up the standings very quickly. Uh, let me just bring it up really fast. I think they've only had like two series against the Mets so far. Um, oh my God. The Nats end from September 10th to the end of the season with three against the Pirates, three against the Marlins, three against the Rockies, three against the Marlins, four against the Reds, three against the Rockies, and then three against the Red Sox. Yeah. So it's, it's fascinating is that it's basically – the end of July and August, and the first like the first week of September, they bring in. They still are waiting on nine games against the Braves. They still need to play well, ten or eleven games against the Mets and ten or eleven games against the Phillies. I think they're all nineteen in division, right? Still, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So they've only played eight against the Phillies, eight against the Mets, and. 10 against the Braves so far. I don't remember playing the Braves that many times already. Hmm. Uh, so I, they still have a lot of those head-to-head games. I mean, they got 31 head-to-head games left. Uh, yeah, 31 against the actual good teams in the East. But those are all, like you said, mostly just shoehorned all from starting in July 26th through to September 9th. Yeah. And then that's it. They don't play starting September 10th. Like you said, it's just a bunch of really terrible teams besides the Reds who have been decent. And, you know, Boston's been pretty good this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Boston may also have it wrapped up by then, by the last couple of days of the season. Who knows? Right. You could uh, definitely see like the 2019 series. Uh, although Cleveland didn't have it wrapped up, but they kind of played like they did. <laughs> Yeah, I and guess they had a playoff rough. spot wrapped up. So they, I don't think they, I think they had at least the, a wild card. I, I thought they didn't make it in 2019. Or maybe, no, they maybe, were, maybe they were like just out or something. I forget. Yeah. 
So yeah, you know, you're right. You never know with those last kind of series whether the other teams have still have things to play for. So yeah, we're gonna see. Um, there's gonna be one. It's the key points of the season are now is is really just can they get? Yeah, they have five more games against the Padres. No, sorry. Going into the break, they have five more games, two against the Padres, three against the Giants, and then coming out of the All-Star break, they have another three against the Padres at home. Uh, If they can get through those eight games at, say, three and five, which keep them at 44 and 48, then I would say probably closer to six and a half back on the Mets, but still within a game or two of the Braves and the Phillies that's probably good enough for that stretch because then they have three against Miami and three against Baltimore uh, that you'd hope they would take at least four, if not five of those games. And that can then, yeah. So if you say overall, that's a eight and five stretch that puts them at 49 and 48 entering the gauntlet of Phillies, Cubs, Phillies, Braves, Mets, Braves, Blue Jays, Brewers, and then you know Brewers, Marlins, and then you come back to another Mets, Phillies, Mets, Braves set um, through before you get to the beginning of September. So, you know, they can if they can do that three and five against uh, three and five against these last eight games against the Padres and Giants, five and one. In those really easy, hopefully easy games against the Marlins and Orioles, that puts you at eight and six. That puts you at forty nine and forty nine. Going into these division tests, I would say only the Mets would be a significant number of games ahead of five hundred at that point, and even that's not necessarily a guarantee. All these head to head games, you it's so easy to make up games uh, against teams that are ahead of you. It's so easy to suddenly build a fairly insurmountable looking lead against teams you're even with. Uh, I mean, they'll still have everything to play for. They'll know before that stretch starts, you know, July 25th, if they're at that record, they know that Rizzo will know he can go all in on the trade deadline for whatever they need. The learners will have that assurance that whatever they're investing is investing towards a potential playoff spot, you know, that is within reach, that it's not a a fool's dream. Uh, So they have a really good chance there. The only downside is one, that's you know three and five against the Padres and Giants is still not the easiest thing to do, uh, especially without Kyle Schwarber. Um, you know, trying to tread water against two really good teams, you, sometimes it doesn't work out. If you drop one game, you drop two more games there. That might put you in a bad spot. Also, in the past, they never. Have, I mean, not in the past, they have never seen to play the Baltimore Orioles well. No matter how good the Nationals are and how bad the Orioles are, they never do well against. Seem to do well against the Orioles, even when they win. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then even at the Marlins, uh, I think for most of the last few years, even you know when the Nats have been really good and the Marlins have been bad, I think 2019 was one of the first years where they really pounded the Marlins uh, and showed their quality. You know, being better than them. Other good years, they've similarly struggled against the Marlins to take these games they need. So asking for five and one on that stretch is also a little bit high. So, you know, you can easily see, 
you don't do three and five, you do two and six. You don't do five and one, you go three and three very frustratingly. Now five and nine, and you're looking at 46 and 52, you're six under 500. You, it's harder to make an argument that you should go all in on the deadline. Even if you can start pulling back those head-to-head games, you're probably a pretty significant distance behind the Mets. You're a bit of a distance behind the Braves and Phillies. All of that gets a lot harder. So I mean, this is a pretty crucial, critical stretch they have here, bookending the, the All-Star game. Uh, Sean, have you been keeping an eye on Cade Cavalli at all? Yeah, he's been lighting it up. Right? Yeah. We finally have a prospect again. Is he ready to come up? Is he ready to be traded? <laughs> oh, man. No, he's, well, I Send mean, I him guess. him for Chris Bryant. They could, they could bring him up. Yeah, I mean, he has been having uh, walk issues in double uh, A, but he was just carving people up in single A. I mean, still for the year, I mean, he's still, you know, got insane strikeout numbers. I think he's, yeah, he's got 103 strikeouts in 63 innings. Yeah, I'd say my my only concern is that when he got to double A, it looks like his walk rate has increased versus in single A, uh, which would suggest that he's not, you know, the, the number of strikeouts is cool. But would suggest that he's not necessarily has the command for his pitches yet. That he just has tough to hit pitches, and so he's not. So a lot of his at bats are just going to end in either a strikeout or a walk. Um, and kind of as he advanced from you know single A is a lot of very swing happy prospects who don't really have that vision yet to see that that breaking ball is going out of the zone from when it comes out of his hand. So they're just. You get a lot more swinging strikes. So when you see somebody go from single A to double A, and they kind of keep their strikeout rate high, but that walk rate also increase that walk rate increases as that step up, and that really suggests that he has a lot of pitches that are going out of the zone, uh, and those better double A hitters who can really see that are just letting them all go and walking really easily, uh, and then he's still finding some of the worst hitter, the you know the lower down hitters who are still swinging and missing. Uh, and sometimes he is getting it into the zone and getting those strikeouts himself. Uh, but I would say it's definitely, I made the joke that you could call him up. I don't think he'd be ready to call up. Um, I think it'd be interesting. I, I think if you did move him from double A AA to triple A, you'd probably see a similar thing. You know, those strikeouts might take a small step back, uh, but then those walks would still increase yet again. Uh, you'd really just see, you know, he, be challenged to actually throw his his pitches into the zone because uh, you have some pretty smart hitters at AAA. They're not just going to go chasing any breaking ball they see. So it's exciting, but also not necessarily. I would say those kind of numbers that you see would say it would suggest at least one, if not two, more years before ready to to really be an impact player at MLB level. But they may they may have to bring him up just out of pure necessity. They might, yeah. I mean, and maybe it'll work out. Uh, maybe especially as a, a reliever, if you can kind of have him be in game situations where people are more likely to want to be swinging yeah. and not taking those walks, and you can kind of you know just throw hard stuff at them and, and get some strikeouts before 
anything bad happens, it's potentially possible. Uh, I, the Nats, we've also seen that before. They've done that with other pitchers like Blake Trinan. And I'm trying to think of another example who's not a child rapist. Um, yep. uh, oh, uh, Sammy Sergis. <clears throat> yeah. There we go. Guys who are like, kind of like power guys who you know, could throw good, strong, you know, fast pitches, could kind of get good breaking stuff, but also didn't really have that good command. So when you're using them as relievers, sometimes they would come in and have a really good game. And you know, have a good inning and come back out and be like, oh, this guy's really good. I can see all his good pitches. He had a good inning. And then other times they'd come in, there'd be runners on first and third, and they're like, all right, we just need one more out. And they come in and just walk two guys and get pulled. It's like, great, you just walked in a run. You didn't get anybody out. We now need to bring another reliever into the game. Uh, you've just made this whole situation worse for everybody. Uh, so, you know, that is kind of the risk you run with guys, you know, in that mold where, you know, if they're not always able to just throw strikes when they need to, you can, I mean, you could also see it as a starter in Gio Gonzalez uh, or Patrick Corbin recently, uh, where you can't throw strikes when you want to, you can start making things really tough, really quickly, both on yourself and on your teammates and on your manager. Uh, which is not ideal. But I, I, the one thing I would say is that if you were looking to trade for somebody like Chris Bryant, it is good news that you now have somebody who's a bit more of an enticing prospect in Kate Cavalli, rather than trying to see if anybody thinks Carter Keboom is worth anything anymore. <laughs> Bryant even cost that as a upcoming free agent? I, I mean, wouldn't think so. Yeah. Probably I mean, not. Just, he, I mean, he's up making $20 million he is hitting well. Oh, so but somebody yeah. who's not an upcoming free agent, but is also really good and also about probably going to be traded. Yes. Uh, player X. You have yes. a, a real sign prospect you could offer. You could sign. You could offer in that deal for them. So we're getting Otani. That's what uh-huh. we're saying. Otani for Cavalli, signed, sealed, and delivered. Got it. Who I really want uh, them to call up soon, though, is Matt Cronin, who is carving up the minors. He struck out 28 in uh, 14 and two-thirds in uh, single A, and then 10 and six and a third in double A. Those left-handed. Right. Well, you heard Matt Cronin the same for the last like two years, and he hasn't been up yet. But... Yeah, he was he was like drafted Hopefully. as a quick to the majors uh, reliever. He was a fourth round pick in 2019, and he did really well in 2019. And I guess was at the alternate side or nowhere last year, and that he's done well this year too. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a definitely intriguing. Uh, kind of surprising he wouldn't have gotten up yet, considering their bullpen issues, uh, and that they have added people. Because I don't think Mikado was on the 40-man before he came up. Um, or obviously, Lobstein definitely was not on the 40-man. So, hey, it's a little surprising. Well, he Joe wasn't Cronin in... Looks, he's not in AAA. Well, I mean, I assume that oh, they okay. would move him to AAA if they wanted him to be able to come up soon, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I guess they couldn't bring him up at the time. Although, uh, last month, uh, I don't know if you guys remember Jacob Kondrabogan, who was a reliever in double AA, a triple a for a while he he re- retired after spring training this year and he 
had some words on Instagram kind of about how the Nats treat their uh, like their minor league pitchers. I think it was actually just like last week. And they're like, you know, they keep, they keep on throwing out, you know, guys like Jeffrey Rodriguez and uh, Machado and like, you know, people like that. And it's like, they actually have guys that, you know, have put up good numbers and then they just never promote them. And right. Or they, 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 like, they seem to like bringing somebody else back from, you know, bringing some random veteran in and trying them out rather than just promoting. But not even like good. Like, I mean, like Jeffries obviously doesn't have it. And Machado is, yeah. you know, as definition of an org guy as you can get. So it's like, I, I can understand where he's saying, cause he, he actually put up good numbers for a good while. And I guess he just got tired of it. Uh, cause mm-hmm. I think he came, uh, he came the one year that they sold, uh, I can't remember for who they got him from the Royals. I think I can't, I can't remember who we would have traded to the Royals, but yeah, but he actually put up good numbers, strikeout numbers. I mean, he kind of fizzled out in a double a, but yeah, I mean, it it would be nice to see them at least try to promote. Cause I mean, honestly, who, how many relief pitchers have they developed ever? Uh -uh. Right. Not, not many. Um, I mean, people who have come up briefly and then gotten horribly injured, uh, like Aaron Barrett or Christian Garcia or Cole Kimball or uh, Dakota Bacchus. Is it Dakota Bacchus? Yeah. So, who were temporarily effective before becoming horribly injured. Who's the Brian Goodwin trade? Yeah. I would say uh, I also saw in lefty prospect news that Seth Romero is finally back again. Yeah, he also mentioned Seth Romero as like you know you you get you draft guys that you know get kicked off their college team. Yeah, <laughs> I guess he's just ready to burn everybody since he's he's, he's out now. It's true. Yeah, it's a good good position to be burning people from. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a name that came up in that discussion that we haven't talked about much, um, Patrick Corbin sucks, mm-hmm. has not been great, both personally and professionally. <laughs> <laughs> January was really tough for him. <laughs> He's still just this waiting he just assumes if he keeps uh holding the faith eventually he'll come back into power mm-hmm. yikes the funny thing is his walk numbers are still better than they were in 2019 <laughs> and actually where his his regular numbers sucked last year too but he's just getting giving up a lot of dingers yes well, it does not help if you just have you basically just had one pitch that you could throw a bunch of different ways and now that one pitch is just not nearly as good, and people just hit it. It's a bold strategy. It really, really lowers uh, what you can do. I'm kind of excited to see if his earned runs continue the current trend they're on. Because May, he has six starts, and he goes from two to three to one to three to four to four. So essentially, he starts going down, and then goes back up. He makes it down to one, and then starts increasing. June, same thing. Four, three, one, two, three. 
So I want to see if the rest of the year he can somehow manage to have just this up and down perfect roller coaster the entire way of sucking. Can we at least change it to like zero, one, two, three? No, because this month he started with five. So um, that's bad. <laughs> it's okay. He's only signed for what, three more years. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I say 2017 is when Corbin started throwing his slider a lot more often. You know, before that, so his slider percentage starting 2012. 17%, 22, 29, 26. And then starting in 2017, it was 37, 41, 37, 40, and then 36 this year. So a lot more dependence on the slider, which was great from 2017 to 2019 when he had a spin rate of 2359, 2389, 2398 on the pitch. Uh, had really high whiff rates, 44%, 53%, 51%. Uh, you know, the expected woba 200 193 204 all very good 2020 spin rate has decreased from almost 2400 to 2241 with rate from around a little over 50 percent to only 38 percent expected woba up from 200 to 250 and now 2021 again spin rate 2211 it's even lower than it was last year with rate even lower 36 percent you know, similar though, Woba again 241. Expected Woba 281 uh, over 250. So it's clearly just you know he is reliant on that pitch, uh, and it's not as good anymore. So it's a pretty straightforward story. I'm curious what this story is about. I happened to Google Patrick Corbin. And there's a story from two weeks ago that Patrick Corbin finds the cure to what ails him, which I think would be yeah. news to anyone on this podcast. Yes, I, I don't think he has. I mean, I can also look at the in-season spin rate to see if it's any better. I mean, the, the interesting thing is that he's not really seeing similar decreases on his other pitches, like his sinker that he throws about thirty percent of the time is a pretty much the same speed. The spin rate is a little bit lower, but not really like noticeably lower. Uh, the whiff rate's about the same. Actually, it's a little bit higher the last two years. Uh, the expected Woba against is pretty high, but that's just because it's a sinker. It's supposed to be a contact pitch. Um, you know, and his forcing fastball, again, they've seen a bit of a decrease in the spin rate but not nearly as substantial as with the slider. Uh, the whiff rate is a lot lower, is a bit lower on it than it was the previous three years, but not last year. It was really bad in 2020. This year, it's a lot closer to his 2017 to 2019 numbers. So I mean, it's really just the slider that he's having a lot of trouble with this season. Uh, if you do it by game. Yeah, I mean, it's not, looking any better recently so oh that's pitch percentage one sec spin rate spin rate spin rate spin rate spin rate why isn't it a completely 
different place than I was at. Yeah, I mean, it's still the last two games were twenty one seventy seven, twenty one eighty nine, uh, twenty two sixty two. So all still, you know, well below what he was looking at in twenty nineteen, where he was almost up to twenty four hundred, you know, per game. So it's a pretty significant decrease. Uh, I guess maybe he in already decided in 2020 he could see the the sticky stuff controversy coming and decided to stop cheating then because um, <laughs> he hasn't had any decrease since june he's been throwing it pretty much exactly the same so and it's just not good i don't know i really don't know what you do at this point because he has one pitch he needs that one pitch to be good to be effective and it's not good so he's ineffective and you have him signed for four more years, I believe. Woo-hoo. Is there any help that they could find on the starting pitching side? We kind of talked about other places where they could find help, but I mean, with needing Ross, Fetty, etc., to fill in the back part of the the rotation as it is. Top 40 MLB trade candidates, early June edition. Number one, John Gray, right-handed pitcher for the Rockies. All right. He's, I believe, decent. Probably going to actually demand real things. So let's scroll down to the (laughs) 20s where the Nats would start doing the business. Here we go. So 22 and 23. Number 23 and number 24. They're not pitchers, but are as Drupal Cabrera and Michael A. Taylor. So I feel this is an appropriate level of where the Nats might trade for somebody. Okay. Um, we have some guy named Merrill Kelly, right-handed pitcher for the Diamondbacks. Who tra- MLB trade rumors says, his skill set seems pretty similar to that of the 2019-2020 version of Kelly, who was a solid number four starter. So that kind of tells me that overall his stats this year suck ass. And they're <laughs> trying to say, Recently, he's looked better okay. and not really that much better, uh, but he's very cheap. Uh, just four to five million this year and has an m- option for five to five million next year. And that's it. So he's a nice ad for a pitching hungry team with budgetary constraints. So that does sound like the Nationals. Uh, but he also recently had thoracic outlet syndrome, uh, syndrome surgery. So. I would say you probably don't want to trade for that. Uh, here's Cole Calhoun. Herman Marquez, I believe, is also a starter for the Rockies. Signed through affordably through 2024, so that probably means he requires more in prospects than you want. They already said yeah. they're not going to trade him. Well, Bud Black said yeah. they're not going to trade him. I thought you were saying Hernan Perez, and I was like, oh, he's a good reliever. He is a good reliever. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to trade Marquez uh, either. So Spencer Turnbull, who isn't really that good um, for the Tigers, he is a four-two-two ERA. That the Tigers are not as absurd as the Rockies, so they will willingly just trade anything that moves. So, especially since they held on to Matt Boyd and uh, was it Michael Fulmer? Which one's mm-hmm. their former? Yeah, I think Michael Fulmer for too long, so I'm sure they'd get rid of him. Here's some guys who are on the Orioles, so we'll ignore them. They're not getting traded to the Nets. 
Uh, Sonny Gray on the Reds. I think he's ranked this low only because they don't think the Reds would trade Sonny Gray. I don't think either. Uh, Danny Duffy for the Royals, who's been straight trash for a while and then signed to a very expensive contract. Although I think it's almost up. I think it's almost done finally. Uh, and then number 40 was Madison Bumgarner, who has also been straight trash and is signed to a very expensive contract that is not expiring soon. So not exactly who you would want to replace Patrick Corbin with. It's just a different Patrick Corbin. Or uh, a less trash in the human being side. Dan Duffy's actually been pretty good this year, though. Look at that. Wait, no, he got it. Well, he got a DUI a couple years ago, I think. So, um, Garner did. No, oh, no, sorry, Danny Duffy. Oh, Duffy. Yeah. Oh, uh, he might have. All right, Matt's got that half game back. The Mets lost. Yes. Game two. Nice. Uh, Duffy is signed. Yeah, well, this is got, it. Yeah, he He's got a DUI at the drive-through of Burger King. All right, so you know that's not that's a real thing. That's amazing. Ideal. So he is left-handed. He has personal problems, but ha- hopefully not quite as bad as Patrick Corbin's. <laughs> uh, he is a free agent at least at the end of this season, and he has been bad. The pre he's like kind of reverse Corbin, is he's been pretty bad from 2018 to 2020, but is doing pretty well this year with a 2.6 ERA. Granted, that's also with a three two seven FIP, so you know probably that's still both way better than anything he had done in the last three years. So I he might be worth it, but he also might garner too much attention uh, if there's not other starting pitchers on the market for people to pay attention to, especially if John Gray is can that's the best trade candidate. Matt well, Boyd is number four. Now, Grant, Tyler I know Anderson. He- I know he hasn't been good for a lot of his career, but he's having a very good year. Mm-hmm. Somebody like Kyle Gibson. Boy. Yeah, Kyle Gibson, number eight, they have on their list at MLB Trade Rumors. I mean, he's going to be Obviously, this was the early June year. list. He's getting 9.3. He's got one more year on the deal after this. Yeah. So he's controllable, but not like crazy. Yeah. And he's got an ERA under two playing in Texas. All right, so there are potentially you know, some eh, starters out there uh, that could help them out. We'll see. I, I, I just I don't know if they really make a trade. I think the only real reason they would make a trade for a starting pitcher is if Ross or one of these guys gets injured again, or Strasburg suffers another setback. But even then, I think they're just going to ride or die on John Lester, Paolo Espino, Joe Ross, and Eric Fetty. I would see. uh, Can you guys recall a baseball trade? Yes. In the realm. Yes. Perfect. Uh, in the realm of like what the NBA does, where it's like these are two shitty contracts, and we're just going to swap them. And see what happens. Like, Never the last time that mid season. I, I mean, I've heard of it in the off season. I'm trying to think of who it is that I'm thinking of, though. Um, 
Matt definitely Kemp, happened before. Matt Kemp got traded for the guy that did the domestic abuse and got Hector kicked out of baseball. Yeah. Mm, okay. That was in 2015. July 2016. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's not many. Um, they, hey, they don't really have that kind region. of change of scenery stuff as much. So, I, it's definitely a possibility, but I, I just don't. It would be interesting, though, if they could find somebody they could line up with. You know, maybe one of the more, you know, stattery, heavy teams. You know, like if, if you're going to say, like, if Blake Snell was having the season he's having with the Padres, but on the Rays still, mm-hmm. and also the Rays are somebody that would eat salary, and you'd be like, I will right, we'll give you Corbin for Snell. And then see if they can fix him. Um, or if, I don't think the Astros have anybody. Like if Granky was having a fairly meh this year for that year, this year for the Astros. And they were just like, I will just give you Corbin for Granky. And you'll see if you can fix Corbin. He's younger and we'll take this veteran because we like veterans kind of thing. Um, yeah, it, it's just hard to really kind of find that, that lineup uh, that would work. Generally, it's just teams. It, it, GMs just you know, baseball especially. You're always afraid of oh, if I make that trade of my crap for your crap, you actually fix my crap, and I can't fix your crap, and now I look like a giant idiot. Mm-hmm. Twice. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and not only that, but I would look like a giant idiot immediately. Because yeah. we would see the results of both of them. It's a lot easier to trade some random prospect for this guy who might be a little bit over the hill. Oh, we found out he is over the hill. But also that prospect hasn't shown up, you know, isn't going to show up in MLB for two or three more years. And by then, hopefully some people will forget or not care anymore that I traded him for that person who doesn't matter. Um, and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. So. Okay. All right. Anything else we need to cover? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I, I again, I would just emphasize that yeah, this is pretty much the critical stretch. To this is like the preamble. This is if they don't get through this well, the rest of the season doesn't really matter as much. But if they do get through this well, all it's doing is setting up the actual important games through August, all these divisional games in August. So it's definitely it's going to be exciting, hopefully exciting times for the Nats, or they very quickly will make them extremely boring times, and we can all get cheap, cheap tickets. So <laughs> I'm still holding out hope that Rizzo and the Nats ownership decide to strike earlier and kind of realize the situation they're in right now and make a trade here soon uh, for another relief pitcher or, you know, a kind of sluggy benchy outfielder or even an infielder. They have plenty of infield spots at the corner infield spots as well um, to kind of come in and plug in for Schwarber being out, kind of push. I'll see this Escobar back to the bench 
where I think he could do better. Um, and kind of hopefully ride out this stretch and, and steal some games from the Padres and Giants. Cause, uh, but it, it's definitely based on the people they have coming back from the IL, especially since Daniel Hudson has come back. I'm sure we're in a classic situation where we don't need to trade for somebody. Getting Daniel Hudson back is like trading for somebody. So. All right. Well, we will see where they are. Uh, looking at the calendar, so we're it's the seventh. We probably won't do this again until either the week of the 19th or maybe even the week of the trade deadline. So we should have a pretty solid idea of where they are uh, the next time that we convene. 